The following program is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Lead Tennessee Radio, conversations with the leaders moving our state forward. We look at the issues shaping Tennessee's future, rural development, public policy, broadband, health care, and other topics impacting our communities. And now, here's your host of Lead Tennessee Radio, Lavoie Knowles. Hello, I'm Lavoie Knowles, Executive Director of the Tennessee Broadband Association. Today, our guest speaker is Senator Jack Johnson, uh, the Senate Majority Leader. Senator Johnson, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Lavoie. I appreciate you having me. Leader Johnson represents Williamson County in the Tennessee Senate. He is the first vice chair of the, uh, of the Senate calendar committee and also serves on the number of other committees that are close and dear to our heart, which is finance, ways, and means, as well as commerce and labor. He and his wife make their home in Franklin and are small business owners. The couple have three children and are involved greatly in their community. Senator Johnson, um, let's start our, our, our conversation today about your upbringing and where you were raised and maybe your early exposure to the political process. Sure. Well, I'm a, a product of Texas, the great state of Texas. Oh, okay. I was born and raised in, in Texas, and um, uh, all my family still hails from, from down there. Uh, right after graduating from college, in, uh, I went to Texas State University uh, in San Marcos. At the time, it was called Southwest Texas State University. Interesting fact about uh, Texas State University, our two most famous alumni are Lyndon Baines Johnson and George Strait. Oh, so, interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And, uh, but after I graduated there, of course, I've always had a, a love and a passion for music. And, and I was a, uh, a young, irresponsible 20-something-year-old, fresh out of college, and I told my mom and dad, I'm going to go to Nashville and hang out for a little while and just, just kind of see what it's like. And they thought I was crazy, and I probably was, but but it's worked out pretty well because I've never been back. So, yes. uh, But no, I, I have always had a passion and a love for government and the political process, and it, it probably goes back to the election of 1980, which, of course, um, fascinated a lot of people and, and with Ronald Reagan. And uh, I was I was 12 years old at the time, but I remember that election uh, vividly, and and of course with the election of Ronald Reagan, and he's just been a political mentor of mine, and uh, and of course from age 12 to age 20, he was president of the United States for right. me, and so those were pretty formative years, and uh, so anyway, when I moved to Nashville. Shortly after I moved to Nashville, I met my wife at a Young Republican event, and so we knew that we shared that in common, and uh, we started dating and became involved in local politics, and one thing led to another. She's now a circuit court judge in the 21st Judicial District, so she's uh, she's living her dream, and uh, I am too. Oh, great. Uh, it seems that uh, several of the podcast uh, folks have talked about Ronald Reagan being a mentor, so that yeah. was, uh, for myself too, it was a very formative years, and... and uh, He's a good good person to be a mentor yeah, from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you also serve as the Senate Majority Leader. Can you describe us the responsibilities of this leadership post? Yeah, I'm in my second session now as Majority Leader. I took uh, my, my predecessor, uh, Senator Mark Norris, now Federal Judge Mark Norris, was appointed by President Trump to be a federal judge and took him a while to get confirmed, but he did finally get confirmed. And so I uh, made the decision to run for, for Majority Leader. And and was was elected by my colleagues, and I'm very honored by that. Um, the, the primary responsibility 
actually during session of the majority leader is to be the the Senate sponsor and then my colleague in the House, Majority Leader William Lamberth, same for him, to sponsor the governor's legislative package. Right. Including the budget. So, uh, and that's one of the things that really interested me in the position is getting to work with the administration. Of course, when I was running for majority leader, I didn't know who the governor was going to be because it was in the midst of the 2018 gubernatorial election. But but uh, Governor Lee and I have been friends for a number of years and uh, have really enjoyed working with him. And so we're my, my office and my staff and I are very busy with his his legislative package. It's about 65 bills uh, that that he brought, including the budget and the budget related documents. So getting those filed and and working with stakeholders and getting those ready to present to committee. And and as you know, I I don't personally present all those bills. I work with my colleagues and I right. find other senators who might have an interest in a particular subject matter and I ask them to sign on second line and then have them take the bill to committee. But we still work with them and their offices to, to make sure that the governor's legislative package makes it through through the legislative process. Last year, uh, so coming into last year's session, brand new governor, brand new Senate majority leader, and brand new House majority leader. So all three of us were were new to our roles, but uh, very proud of the fact that we passed every bill that the governor proposed last year. And uh, some got modified uh, to a degree, but uh, we got everything passed. And, and I'm very excited about Governor Lee's legislative agenda for this year as well. Great. It's very aggressive, and we're, we're very proud of it as well. And... Um, most folks don't listening to our podcast don't realize how much work there is to this position, and just hearing you speak, um, sixty-five bills. Even though you may not be carrying them all or presenting them all, you're actually responsible for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And so I, I, there's a list of bills, and um, uh, you can look. It's about ten pages long, and there's a significant number of those with your name on it. So it's yeah, it's a big job. And that doesn't count my own personal legislative package. And I've got my own set of bills that I that I right. need to do as well, in addition to the governor's. So I think I'm maybe somewhere around a hundred bills filed under my name. Oh wow! Uh, for for this session, but so it is a lot of work. But I knew that when I applied for the job, and I love that aspect of it. I really like working on legislation and and uh, getting it through the committee process. So I'm I'm it's a lot of work, but I'm enjoying every minute of it. Well, great. I know that uh, you represent one of our members, United, Com- United Communications, and uh, we're very proud of the fact that uh, you're in a leadership position and doing the great job you do. You're always um, uh, able to listen to our concerns, and we're, we're very proud of that. So thank yeah. you for your work you're doing in the city. Well, you mentioned United and uh, the work that they're doing with Middle Tennessee Electric in terms of getting broadband out. Very excited to see them. Um, Working off the legislation we we uh, passed, the what was the Broadband Accessibility Act? Exactly, I was the, the name of it. Uh, and you know, people might not think so, but even in, in Williamson County, which is a very affluent county, but we have a lot of rural areas that 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 have little or no access to, to broadband. And then, of course, you look at across the state at the rural areas. So, uh, very proud of United and Middle Tennessee Electric and their partnership to to get started on that. And hopefully, we'll be a model for others across the state as well. Right. I think a lot of good things are happening in Tennessee, particularly in the broadband, which is close to our heart, but uh, we appreciate the legislature uh, being responsible, responsive to our needs and, and listening to us throughout the, the last two or three years. Uh, as you said in your opening, uh, you and your wife are small business owners. Um, why is small businesses important to Tennessee's economy, and how does it impact the legislation that you approach? 
Well, you know, the, the vast majority of job creation and, um, and in fact, jobs in general are through small businesses. And uh, Tennessee uh, was just ranked as, as having the fastest small business job growth in the nation. And we are enjoying the lowest unemployment we've ever recorded in our state's history. So a lot of excitement about that. But um, uh, I've been a small business owner and and while we love our big businesses, okay, we love our big companies. Sure. And I have, I have Nissan headquartered in my district, Tractor Supply. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of big companies, and we're very happy to have them and very Absolutely. proud of them. Sure. And they employ a lot of people, but, uh, but, but we should never, and 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 I hope we never neglect the importance of small businesses uh, to to our overall economy because that's where most people are employed, and that's where most of our job creation is coming from. And so again. Um, it's critically important to to our economy, and as you know, prior to becoming uh, majority leader, I chaired our commerce and labor committee for ten years, and we worked very hard in that committee to to get our economy and our, our regulatory environment in a place where uh, small businesses, small and large, but but small businesses could thrive, right. and try to remove some of those regulatory impediments, you know, unnecessary taxes, so that people can can either create a small business or if they have a small business now, they can grow it and expand it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely critically important to our economy. Right. Tennessee is definitely pro-business, and I think we've made a lot of strides in that direction. And uh, from what I've seen, the statistics, about 75% of um, new employees come from small businesses. Absolutely. So it's very important. Although we do love our big businesses, Absolutely. Yeah, we love them all. Uh, you're on the management team of a Tennessee-based uh, on-demand app company that has gone nationwide. As technology becomes an increasingly important part of our lives, why is it important that rural residents – also have reliable broadband service. Yeah, well, broadband is is it's it's been referred to, and I couldn't agree more. It is it is the 21st century version of electricity. And when you when you look at electrification um, in the United States back in the early 20th century, there's a similar pattern. And and obviously the economic viability of deploying electric uh, access in your your more dense areas, your urban uh, population centers, it's just makes a lot more sense if you have 20 houses uh, you know and on, uh, on a on a mile road versus one house on a mile road it's it the the inf- deploying the infrastructure it's it's not as economically viable for the, the the rural areas so much as was done with electrification you know the, it, it it warranted governmental involvement with to a limited degree, but in order to, to subsidize that or help facilitate that. And and luckily, we do have some of the necessary infrastructure through our electric co-ops, which of course is what we talked about with the Broadband Accessibility Act and allowing them to partner with um, either do it de novo and start up providing broadband or to partner, as we talked about with United. Um, to get that out to, to the rural areas. And we have appropriated um, uh, a significant amount of money, and I believe, don't hold me to this, I should know because I'm the sponsor of the budget, but I think it's another $25 million, 25 million. in the governor's yes. budget this year for for grants um, for to help to help expedite deployment right. of that broadband. Because whether you're a, a kid at home doing homework um, or you're 
self-employed and you work from home or you work for another company and you telecommute and you want to work from home, uh, broadband is critical. It's just, it's you just you just have to have it. So it's not if uh, we get it deployed to every household in Tennessee. It's a matter of when. And, uh, and you know, technology is improving, and there are wireless alternatives that, that, that are coming on board. And so I think the technology will, will catch up. Uh, uh, the fiber to the premise, as we're doing in many areas, that will continue to work. And it'll end up being a combination of, of different types of, of access uh, or ways that you get your broadband. But I think we'll get there. And, uh, and I did a town hall uh, back a few months ago in a very rural part of my district in Williams. County and had a huge crowd that turned up and we had a really good conversation. And I lived, by the way, for many years, I live in Franklin now, but I lived out in the Leapers Fork area and I loved it out there. I loved being in the country, loved just being, you know, having a little bit of acreage and being out there, but we had horrible <laughs> internet access. It was horrible. In fact, we moved into Franklin and we bought a bought a house and uh, and it's an older home, but we fixed it up and and it was real funny with my three teenage kids. They couldn't really they didn't really care about the new house and it was a little bit nicer house, it's bigger, it's closer to town. All they cared about was we were going to have broadband in the new home. And so um, so I've, I've certainly lived it, and I've been there. And um, so we, we, we have to do it, and we will do it. It's just a matter of how, how, how long. And, and unfortunately for folks like me who really enjoyed that rural lifestyle, uh, that's one of the prices is it's just going to take a little bit more time to get it there. If you live in, in my district, West Haven, which is a very popular, very beautiful neighborhood, but it's very dense, a lot of houses, uh, zero lot line type houses, well, you know, you're going to get broadband. But if right. you want to live 10 miles out in the country and you're the one house on a mile stretch of road, it's going to take us a little longer to get it to you. But we will get it there. Right. Network costs are almost the same whether you're dense or not so dense. And so, um, but the Broadband Accessibility Fund has been a huge help to the rural areas and uh, it's created partnerships, um, much like the one at uh, United and, and um Middle Tennessee, but there's others as well. We have members that are also partnering with with uh, small cities yeah. that are doing things together, and others have partnered with other electric cooperatives in a different format. So it's it's really it's really pushed uh, partnerships. Well, and it, it's an example of what I said earlier. It's about removing some of the regulatory impediments that are preventing that from happening. Right. So here we are, you know, as elected officials pounding our fist on the table saying we need to get broadband to every home in Tennessee, and yet we've got laws on the books that are preventing <laughs> some from doing it. And and so it's about thinking through that and removing those unnecessary impediments uh, so that so that we can get it done. I agree, totally. The Tennessee Broadband Association is comprised of cooperatives and independent communications companies um, that are investing millions of dollars in their fiber networks across the state, largely in rural areas. In fact, um, our group is committed to, uh, to invest over $400 million between this year and, and 2022 into their networks. Huge commitment for small companies. Uh, and we've talked about it already a little bit, but what role do you see broadband playing as a part of rural development? Well, it, it, it ties right in with what I was saying about individuals and in the home. You know, Tennessee, we're, we're such an amazing state, <coughs> excuse me, and our geographic location, our climate, our, our business environment, our regulatory environment, we have so many good things going for us. And, 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 and one of those is we have 
we have access to very affordable land. And uh, when you look at our interstate system, our, our navigable rivers, our railroads, um, there's just a lot of things that are appealing. The problem is if a company, either from outside the state or an existing company in the state, and they're looking to expand or perhaps build a manufacturing facility, uh, maybe in a more rural part of the state, getting to rural economic development, uh, it's a deal breaker. If they don't have access, I mean, obviously they need water, they need sewer, they need electric um, roads, they need roads and those types of things. But, but uh, equal among all of those things is access to broadband. You cannot run really any type of a business or company without access to it. Right. So Governor Lee has talked extensively about this, and, and he was campaigning in 2018. He talked a lot about rural economic development, and I think he would be the first to tell you that in order to, to, to get that done, we've got to have greater access to broadband in some of those rural areas. So um, so you're right. It dovetails right in the same argument, really, whether it's a, a seventh grader trying to do their homework and, and, and do research for a research paper, or if it's a, if it's a company looking to open a manufacturing facility that, that might employ two or 300 people, right. uh, you've got to have, you've got to have broadband. Got to have it. I totally agree. As an association, we believe that access to health care is also uh, vital to the well-being of Tennessee's residents, and broadband plays a critical role in expanding health care access through telemedicine technology. Um, that's why we're working on a statewide rural telehealth initiative. Uh, in your view, how important is broadband working through the telemedicine to increase access to care, especially in rural areas? It's the future. I mean, it's just, well, it is a significant part of the future of healthcare delivery. Um, you know, back um, even when I was a kid in my little small town in Texas, we had a little community hospital and, um, and people would go there and have procedures and, and things done like that. But, but the, with, with more and more specialties, the concentration of healthcare delivery in the urban centers has, has really made it, it hard for some of those rural hospitals to, to be able to, to function. Um, and so what you see is a, is a gradual transition to urgent care facilities, right? I mean, if you, if you have a heart attack or you're in a bad car wreck, you need, you need emergency help. Exactly. So whether it's freestanding ERs um, and, and creating those, but the fact is if, if, um, you know, if you plan to have your gallbladder removed or something and it's going to be next Tuesday, you're going to drive to Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga to right. get that done. Uh, maybe Jackson. Uh, it's going to be an, uh, you know, an urban center where you're going to get that done. Now for primary care, which I think is a, equally as important in, in the rural areas um, you know we, we're, we've had over the recent years and we will continue to have conversations about allied health with advanced nurse practitioners physician assistants um, at working with in conjunction with primary care physicians to deliver to deliver health care but uh, telemedicine which again you have to have broadband in order to effectively do I think it's going to be a big part of that. There are regulatory issues. There, there are uh, conversations taking place with providers, um, uh, both physicians, hospitals, insurance companies, the payers, uh, to figure that out and how that works. There's a, a very significant bill 
that uh, I believe Senator Art Swan and and Representative Robin Smith have this year to, to deal with it. And I'm very excited. It'll come through the Commerce Committee. And I'm excited about that legislation because I'm, I'm hoping we can work out some of those those issues so that we can get that bill passed. And uh, but I, I, I just expect that more you're going to see more and more of that type of health care delivery in the future. But you have to have the broadband in order to do it. That's true. I think health care is kind of changing in our state, as you've mentioned, and, and the decrease in the number of rural hospitals is going to force some other type of process, whether it be urgent care or emergency services. But I believe tele telehealth uh, could be a, pay a large part of that in filling that gap. Yep. What other challenges do you see facing the rural population of Tennessee? So um, uh, K-12 edu education and access to higher education, which I think we've made great progress, but it, it will continue to be a focus. Um, again, if you've heard the governor speak, Governor Lee at all, you're likely to have heard him hear him talk about vocational technical education because uh, he's a big, big fan of that. And uh, even in his first year, we passed significant legislation with the GIVE Act, the Governor's Investment in Vocational Education, and expanding access for these kids. Uh, that uh, and it doesn't have to be a rural area, but but you see that some there. Because, you know, sometimes these kids, they're going through high school and, and you know, they don't really want to go to a four-year university, but but they're, they're certainly open to seeking some type of post-secondary education. It could be a community college degree. It could be a technical certificate of some sort. Uh, and, and, and sometimes, and in, in some areas you can get, get this now, we need to expand it, but you actually get dual credit while you're in high school taking some vocational courses right. and then maybe matriculate out and, and be able to come out with a technical certificate, maybe in welding or plumbing or HVAC repair things, very, very important parts of our economy. And, uh, <clears throat> and those, what's exciting about that is those jobs in some instances, not all, but there are employment opportunities for those kids back in their hometown, right? In in their rural areas, and so um, they, because many of them want to stay, they want to stay, where, they want to raise their family where they grew up. Sure. And and but sometimes the employment opportunities just aren't there as much uh, to say maybe be an accountant or lawyer or things like that, but. The skilled workforce, in terms of you know technical skills, um, you know in the in the trades, those are some some very very good jobs potentially, and um, so I think it, 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 continuing that focus on the realization that not every kid needs to go get a bachelor's degree, right? Right. Uh, now, 55% of the jobs in Tennessee by the year 2025 will require some type of post-secondary educational attainment. Again, it doesn't have to be a four-year degree. It could be it could be going to learn to be a paramedic. Uh, we have a number of programs that do that at our community colleges. Right. Or learning to, uh, to repair air conditioners or weld or, you know, do plumbing or electrical work. And so... Um, I'm really excited about that and, and just the realization that, A, we need those people in our economy. Those are going to be good jobs and uh, that we're creating opportunities for, for these kids to go and learn to do them. Right. Totally agree. Absolutely. Uh, what challenges or what are some of the challenges you see ahead, ahead for our state and what issues do you particularly are excited to be able to tackle during this session? So um, it's not uh, – necessarily directly um, related to the to cable and broadband but uh, criminal justice reform <clears throat> is going to be a big one for for governor Lee this year and uh, we're, we're in the final stages of, of 
putting the final touches on some legislation that um, that Leader Lamberth and I will be filing for the governor dealing with um, with criminal justice reform, and uh, and it. And I, I tell, even if I'm speaking to a chamber group or a Rotary Club or whatever, I say, you, you may think that this is not of interest to you because you don't plan to go to prison. But, <laughs> but, it, but it really is of interest to you because, A, we're spending a lot of money keeping people in prison, right? Those right. are your tax dollars. And we're not doing a very good job in Tennessee in terms of rehabilitating people. Absolutely. And uh, 95% of the people that are in a jail cell right now or a prison cell are going to get out. They're going to get reintroduced back into society. Right. 37% of those are going to reoffend and end up end up back in that. So that means that they're going to commit a crime, which means there will be a victim of that crime. And then they're going to be back in our in our prison system and costing us almost $30,000 a year to keep them in prison. So criminal justice reform is very important. Governor Lee's very passionate about it. Prior to becoming governor in his private life, he did a lot of philanthropic work in in this in in prison reentry ministries, <clears throat> being a mentor to people who are in prison to help them um, get back into society and become a, a productive citizen. So, anyway, it's there's a lot of moving pieces and parts, but just at a high level, you know, the, the, there are programs, there are opportunities for for nonviolent people, which is the bulk of what we're talking about here. Right. You know, people with that that have uh, chemical dependency issues, be it drugs or alcohol, that perhaps an intensive drug court um, recovery program for 18 months might be better than a than a three month or a six month jail sentence where they get and they may have access to some programs in prison, but. But they're going to come out and they're going to reoffend. Right. Where uh, I mentioned, my wife is a judge. She's very active in this. I've been to a number of drug court graduations, and their recidivism rate is a fraction of what it is for the traditional uh, incarceration system. So, so we've got things out there that are working. Right. We need to be doing more of those and less of the things that aren't working. Totally. And agree. so it's it's it is important to all of us, and because none of us want to be a victim of a crime, uh, first of all, and and if we know someone or uh, and many of us have been been touched in our lives by people who are um, uh, addicted and um, you know with the opioid crisis uh, with alcohol uh, drugs um, that uh, that they need it they need rehabilitation and get them back into society so they can pay taxes they can raise their kids they can have a job and be a productive member of society so um, that's high level but uh, but you're going to hear a lot about that in the coming months as we uh, work on Governor Lee's criminal justice package. Oh, very good. We can't keep afford to build, keep building jails. That's right. That's right. Leader Johnson, we thank you for being here today. Uh, we um, also thank you for your leadership. Uh, again, you're always uh, very pragmatic and look at the issues and from both sides before you make a decision. We appreciate you doing that. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, cover today before we close? No, just thank you, and and thank you for the association and you guys' work uh, up here. It's it's so important to our economy and the future of Tennessee, and so grateful to uh, to have you guys involved, and and uh, and always look forward to to hearing your thoughts on on these issues because you know we're citizen legislators up here, right. and uh, we come from different backgrounds, and so we have to rely on smart people who have experience in certain areas to help us make those good decisions, and you're one of those people. And uh, we really appreciate your, your guidance. Well, thank you very much. Again, I'm LaVoy Knowles, and this episode of Lead Tennessee Radio was brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association, cooperative and independent companies connecting our state's rural communities and beyond with world-class broadband. 
Thank you for listening and helping us share these conversations with the people leading Tennessee forward. Thank you.